Today in our uh, readings, we are confronted with the idea of prophecy, of speaking the truth, of speaking God's truth, and the, the cost of that. First, we begin with Jeremiah, Jeremiah the prophet. And Jeremiah, like many prophets, is not convinced. God speaks to him and gives him a, an assignment, really, to go and tell these people what I want them to hear. Now, many prophets, of course, try to run away from the word of the Lord. Imagine if God appeared to you or God's voice was heard by you, telling you that he wanted you to go down to the middle of town in Mawa, New Jersey, and stand on the street corner and tell everybody that passed by to repent and turn from their ways. You would probably not want to do such a thing. For obvious reasons, you might be considered to be a lunatic. You could uh, have damage done to your reputation. And people just probably wouldn't believe you. And this was the case back in the time of the great prophets. But in this case, Jeremiah isn't necessarily trying to run away from God, but he has another objection. Jeremiah believes that he is not worthy to be a messenger of God. He says, Ah, Lord God, truly I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. Not that he was actually a boy at that point in his life, but that he was trying to say to God that in comparison to you and to your word, I cannot, I do not have the ability to begin to articulate what needs to be said. And so God says to him, he tries to give him comfort. He says, do not be afraid for I am with you to deliver you. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. And so he sends him to appoint him over nations and kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, but also to build and to plant. Because God's love is not a love of... uh, God's love is a love of life, of giving life, of abundant life. God wants things to be reconciled and rebuilt in the image that he originally intended. Because, of course, human beings in our frailty and sinfulness get in the way of that. And oftentimes we build up uh, structures and systems that are contrary to what God would have us do. And so he sends his messengers, the prophets. Now, of course, there were the great line of Old Testament prophets, But we must be always attentive and attuned, even today, to hearing God's voice in surprising ways, to being challenged by what God has to say to us. Now, in the gospel reading today, this is exactly what happened. Jesus himself is speaking at the synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown. Now, Capernaum was his sort of second hometown. After, after this, he was kind of driven out of Nazareth and 
we'd heard, of course, that they tried to throw him off a cliff and kill him, but that he passed through in the midst of them and went on his way back to Capernaum. Now, you're going to get really sick of this after me coming, after coming back from the Holy Land. I will be able to color in all these details for you. But, uh, you know, going there was eye-opening in many different ways and heart-opening. But one of the practical benefits is having an, a real idea of the space and the geography and how far things were from each other and how high things are and how low things are. So when we hear these uh, stories from the scripture, it really helps to, to fill out the flesh on the bones of this. And so, yes, indeed, uh, Nazareth is, in fact, built on a high cliff. And we saw the spot where the crowds rushed Jesus to try to throw him off. And also Capernaum, where he taught and healed and where the, the, the ruins of the synagogue where he would have uh, uh, taught and healed are still there to this very day. But what does Jesus do to get in trouble here in this uh, reading? He is in his hometown, and um, the people are anxious to see some signs and some wonders. We want you to do here in your hometown what you did in Capernaum. And Jesus says, the prophet has no honor in his hometown. And then he gives examples of some holy people whom God worked with in times gone by. In the time of Elijah, there was a great famine for three years and six months. And lots of widows, and none of them was helped except the one at Zarephath and Sidon. And then likewise, during the time of the prophet Elisha, there was a great outbreak of leprosy. And no one was helped except Naaman the Syrian. Now, Jesus is speaking to a group of devout Jews, people of his own, his own family, his own hometown, people who believe themselves and who are the, the ancient chosen people of God. And so he points out that in these times past, God did not help the ancient chosen people, but instead helped these foreigners. And this enraged them to the point of them trying to kill him. But what is he trying to tell them? And what is he trying to tell us? That just because you dot all the I's and cross the T's and you might be of a certain group uh, or a certain lineage, that doesn't cut the mustard with God. What God wants is for your heart to be in the right place. And St. Paul really fleshes this out for us in his letter to the Corinthians, where he, we hear this very uh, memorable scripture reading, which is often used at weddings. Now, it's a good thing to, to talk about at weddings, about the nature of love. Of course, at a wedding, we're talking about a different kind of love. And, um, you know, the English language, for all of its, its richness, when it comes to love, uh, we don't have as many ways to express different types of love as, say, the Greek language. And so, in this uh, epistle to the Corinthians... Um, in the original Greek, of course, Paul is not talking about the kind of love between two people as they form a family in marriage. Not that that's a bad thing, of course. But he's talking about this kind of love that comes from God. This kind of love that, that forces us out of our comfort zones and forces us out into the world to reach out to others. 
And so what he's saying is, if I can speak with the tongues of mortals and angels, I can have prophetic powers, I can understand all mystery, I can have all faith to remove mountains, but if I do not have love, I am nothing. So, in other words, God created the universe in love and order, and he tries to pass this on to us. And we can get confused and distracted and try to do all kinds of great things in and of ourselves, and perhaps for the wrong reasons. But those are hollow reasons. The reasons to do all these things are to forward God's kingdom, to really open our hearts in love to our brothers and sisters. He goes on to talk about how, uh, what the characteristics are of love. It's patient, kind, not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude, doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and it never ends. That's the good news here today, is that love never ends. And this is what Jesus is trying to tell the people, the stubborn, hard-hearted people in his hometown, which they didn't understand. Of course, their attempt to push him off a cliff was thwarted, but again, that's a foreshadowing of his coming death on the cross, of his giving of himself through his inestimable love and the great heart that he has for his people. So while we were in, uh, in the Holy Land, we saw quite a range of sights, and we met quite a range of people and a big range of experiences. The one thing that was sort of monotonous was the food. There was, it was just hummus everywhere, <laughs> which got a little old after a while. But what we learned is that in this place, it's a small, compact place where people from the three of the world's major religions all come together, where our holy sites are all overlapping. Everything is layered and layered and layered and so much more complicated than you might think by just watching the television news. There is sort of an uneasy peace there. Um, there are guards all, everywhere in um, Israel, you see young men and women, 18, 19 years old, walking around with machine guns, and sometimes not even in uniform, sometimes in you know, shorts and T-shirts, looking like regular kids their age, except for the fact that they're carrying this automatic weapon in the streets. There are checkpoints, and some people can go some places, but not other places, and vice versa. But the thread that ran through all that is this attempt to to live life, just to live life, and to show some love and compassion to others. So in the midst of being caught up into all the this, you know, political and the religious tension that is so prevalent in that place, there is nevertheless a feeling that God is there and his work is being done oftentimes very quietly, but very powerfully. One of the uh, places that we toured, among many, was in Bethlehem, the town where Jesus was born, a town that is itself divided. And we went to a place called the St. Vincent's Creche, 
and it's this large convent complex that was built in the 19th century. Currently, I believe there are three nuns who live in this, this big place, and they, as the name implies, they take care of orphans. They receive children in a number of different ways. Either the children are just completely abandoned and given to them anonymously, or in some cases, young women come to them expecting a child out of wedlock, and typically they're, they're Muslim. And in that situation, that would essentially ruin their lives and their prospects for any kind of future. And so the sisters take them in, and it's hard to believe in this, in this day and age that things like these, this happens. And just the fact that there is such a thing as an orphanage anymore. But they, they, they take the children in, they take the young women in, and they raise these babies from the time that they are born until they're eight years old. And after meeting with one of the sisters, we were taken in to, to the ward. And it, it's, you know, it's a, it's a bright, clean, as cheerful as possible place. But she brought out a string of little toddlers. And uh, it was just heartbreaking to, to look into their eyes as they looked up to us and smiled. And to think about the work that these sisters do. They get no glory for all this. They get little attention. They seek only our support, both monetary and in terms of prayer. But they do this work. And, and this is just one example of so many different groups that are working to heal, uh, to heal the wounds of the world. Another that we met with was this group called the Parents' Circle, and these are groups of both Israelis and Palestinians who get together to tell their stories of both the tragedies that they have experienced uh, in their lives, losing a child, losing a husband, to the, the, the sectarian violence that happens there, but also of coming together and forgiving one another and telling the world about this process of forgiveness and reconciliation. So I could go on and on about different stories, and there are many to tell, um, but I will just leave you with these two examples of what Jesus is telling us, what St. Paul is telling us today, that we do this work of God, but we do it because we have his love implanted in our hearts, and that love is so great and so strong and so broad and so high, just as we sang in the hymn before the gospel today, that we cannot begin to contain it in ourselves, and it flows forth into the world. And so, as having come back after being a pilgrim in the Holy Land, I would say to you that one of the things that we are called to as Christians in this world is to be peacemakers, is to be those who sow reconciliation, to be those who build and plant and and lay this foundation uh, of God's love in the world so that you know, it flows forth from me to you and to other people and other people. And while we can't probably fix all of the problems in the world, we nevertheless can be this voice of hope and love and faith and reconciliation in a broken world, not just for the people in the Middle East, but also right here at home. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.